What's your Everest? You know, the highest mountain on earth, a metaphor for a goal that is so big that it scares you to even speak it out loud. That goal that takes more than a season, a year, or maybe takes a lifetime to even accomplish. I'm Colleen Rue, the voice of the mountain and your host as we meet inspiring individuals who know what it's like to set big goals and how to accomplish them. Welcome to My Everest, a 29029 podcast. We are all acquainted with grief. It's rare to leave this life without the pain and suffering that comes with our human experience. Grief is different for everyone. And the ways we move through our grief are as unique as the reasons why people sign up to climb a mountain over and over again for 36 hours to reach the vertical gain of Mount Everest. But the thing about choosing to climb a mountain with a partner like grief is that you can't hide. The mountain will cause you to face whatever it is that lies just beneath your surface. If you let it, the mountain will crack you open then gently put you back together. The mountain isn't afraid of your grief. It's actually quite comfortable sharing space with wounded hearts. Maybe that's why wounded hearts find 29029. Something in me was just like, you have to do this. And I've never been one to claim to be athletic or like an endurance person. But I was like, this I just know is going to mark a really significant moment in my healing journey. Meredith Coviello, or Mare, as I would come to know her on the mountain at Snow Basin, she was acquainted with climbing with her grief. She was 34 and suddenly a widow. So Tim is my late husband. We had this, I guess, not that it was fairy tale, but we met when we were 18, freshman year of college. And just from there, our relationship just took off and we were pretty much inseparable. We got married after 10 years of being together. And then at the start of COVID, his alcohol addiction got the best of him. Dropped him off at the ER thinking he was just going to be in there for four days. I couldn't go in with him at the time, obviously, because of COVID. And we were still trying to figure that out. He never came home. This is the grief that Mare brought with her to 29029. But this isn't just a story about loss. Mare's 29029 is about friendship, self-discovery, and a new chapter in the same book. Somehow, there is beauty in grief. But maybe only if you are willing to stop and look back to see just how far you've come. I'd never heard about it before. And one of the online communities I was in, um, they had been talking about it and I looked it up and something in me was just like, you have to do this. And I've never been one to claim to be athletic or like an endurance person, but I was like, this, I just know is going to mark a really significant moment in my healing journey. And my healing journey is never going to be over. I was just like, I just know August of 2022, I'm going to cross that finish line and this weight will just be lifted. That's exactly what happened. You see the mountain for the first time. What are you thinking? (laughs) Why am I here? 
I just remember turning to Jehu and I was like, no, like we, we did not train enough for this. Like we were super excited and I was like enthralled by all the banners, but I just remember looking and being like, mm-hmm. okay, it's there, it's there, it's, it's right there. And we're just going to do this. Like there's literally no turning back right now. Thursday is such an interesting day at 29 or 29, especially at Snow Basin. I feel like Snow Basin is one of those mountains. You look at it and you really see the steepest part of that climb right there in front of you. It is just right above the ascent board. And it's like, wow, that is really, really. I mean, the first 500 feet are right there. And you can't see the top. So I'm like, where am I? Where am I going? And again, I was like, I really can tell you right now, I'm not going to be physically prepared enough for this. But at the end of the day, I know it's going to come down to just mental toughness. And so as long as I can just keep telling myself I can do it, my body will follow. So how was the first ascent up the mountain? You finally get on the mountain, you know, we have our, our start line and all that adrenaline and emotion is going, you finally get on the mountain, kind of take me through that first ascent. So I immediately lose Jehu because we are just in this throng of people, right? It's like if you've ever ran a 5K, a half marathon, you just get pulled by the the crowd around you and we're moving fast. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. (laughs) Like I'm like just adjusting to the poles because, you know, I was one of those um, participants who broke out the poles that day. Um, And we're just cruising. And it was at a pace that I could handle, but I also knew was just like going to be very hard to sustain 12 other times. I remember turning to someone that I had met and being like, we signed up for this. Like, this is hard. Like, this is way harder than I thought. I know it wasn't going to be like, I knew it wasn't going to be a perfect path, like concrete, you know, paved. But good Lord, like trying to climb through the like crumbling rock and there's like weeds. And at some point I'm off the path and I was just like, okay, we're just one foot in front of the other. That's literally all that I can do right now. It's so simple, really. You just have to climb up once. You ride the gondola back down. You just got to climb up again. It seems so utterly simplistic to put it that way because it's not that easy. Yep. And it was one of those things like we had a plan going in and then you're actually on that mountain. You're actually feeling every muscle in your body work and you're adjusting and you're seeing everybody else around you and you're seeing the other participants who have done it. Some of them have done it like five times before. And so you're like, okay, it's doable, but also can I do this? Other people have proven that it's possible, but now I have to prove it to myself. When did it get really hard for you? (laughs) Um, Probably after the third ascent. Um, So Jehu and I, we had a plan, right? Every two hours, you're going to get ascent done. And we knew we had like 10 hours of like flex time. But after ascent three, she got so sick and I started to feel the panic of, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to get moving. But the helper in me was like, I can't leave my friend. Like I literally can't just leave her sitting there. At one point I was like, I think I need to go. And she goes, you need to go. And so starting on that fourth ascent, I remember saying to you, like, please take care of her. I have to leave her to go do this. But I cried up that first stretch of mountain because I couldn't believe that I was being quote unquote selfish to keep doing this. But I knew that 
this at that point what had to become my own journey for whatever reason the universe in that moment needed me to really dig in and rely on myself and not be so reliant on on jehu and that was like a really hard realization for me because even though i hadn't signed up to do it with her we met after we had individually signed up we had then spent almost the next year nine months whatever really planning it out together and so I was like, okay, Meredith, like you just, you have to do this. Like there's no, there's no and if or but, like just get through this ascent. Then when you come back down, you can check on her and then you can figure out the next ascent from there. It's so interesting how you mentioned that you had to do it for yourself because really all of these mountains that we have to climb in life, we do eventually have to do them by ourselves as much as we want to be the helper and we want to take people with us. There are so many times that we do find ourselves alone on these mountains. And lately, within the past few years, I have found myself on far too many mountains by myself, um, more metaphorically than anything, uh, leading up to 29 or 29. So that was the first time where I could actually see and feel what was expected of me and I knew exactly what I had to do so it was almost just like taking the past the two years prior to this moment where I had no real roadmap and I could just say okay you know exactly what needs to do like that's where the repetition came in handy because I knew what was expected of me you just had to keep going with that when Saturday finally came and Jehu did start feeling a little bit better on Saturday, she did a little bit better on Saturday. She had a little rally point, which was awesome. And you were able to don that red bib and make one final ascent up the mountain. I still, there are moments where I still have to remind myself that I actually did it because there was a point Saturday morning, I think it was around like 8 a.m. I came off the gondola and I was hysterical and I'd sent video videos to my family and to my boyfriend. I was like, I really don't think I'm going to make it. And I was terrified because I was like, this is what I had been focusing on. And this is all that I wanted. So to actually have you put that red bib on me and know that I could, like it was within reach. It it was just surreal. And again, I had started going up the mountain, um, with someone that I met, John, and we were like, okay, we're going to do this. Like we're both in our last ascent. We can do this. But then at some point he went ahead of me and again, I was alone. And I was like, okay, this is where you, again, you dig in. Like it's, it's within reach. You're still within the time frame. You just got to keep moving. And there were so many points where on that mountain, I just would stop. I did what um, coach John had taught me on like ascent two, which was walk, stop, turn around, see how far you've come, breathe, turn back around and keep going. And I just kept doing that. And so I was able every time I turned around to say, okay, Meredith, you can do this. Like you're almost there. There's a aid station one or cheer on that person who's a little bit behind you and just, you know, help them rally. And so that's just what I kept doing. And then the last which everyone is like, oh my gosh, it's so easy once you get to um, the road, once you're on the road. It's fine. It's fine. You know, it's not fine because it's windy and it's like loose rock and it's still all uphill. But I connected with another guy, Nick, and we happened to run into two pedestrians who were just there on like a nice walk with their dog. 
And just talking to them and explaining to them what we were doing got me up that last chunk. And then really seeing how close it was. I just broke into, I mean, I don't, it felt like a run. I honestly don't know because my body was so tired, but just running up to that bridge of volunteers and Colin O'Brady and all the other coaches there and being able just to step on that red carpet was like, again, it just still doesn't seem real that I was able to do that. It's one of those things you wake up on Sunday morning and you're like, wait, did I really, was I really able to accomplish that? When you came off from your last ascent and you came down to the ascent board and I was there, you shared a little moment with me that it burned in my memory because it was so special for me. You kind of let me into that little bit of why of these mountains that you said that you've stood alone on for the past two years. And you talked about Tim and you talked about how Tim's color was red and that this was in essence you having to break out and heal and become something different. Um, So Tim is my late husband. We had this, I guess, not that it was fairy tale, but we met when we were 18, freshman year of college. And just from there, our relationship just took off and we were pretty much inseparable. We got married after 10 years of being together. And then at the start of covid his alcohol addiction got the best of him. And in April of 2020, April 21st, I dropped him off at the ER thinking he was just going to be in there for four days. I couldn't go in with him at the time, obviously, because of COVID. And we were still trying to figure that out. He was just supposed to get steroids and come home. And he never came home. And on May 22nd, 2020, he, he passed away as a result of liver failure. And it took me a really long time to even tell people that he died as a result of his addiction, because I never wanted him to be associated with that, right? Because in all of our time together, that was not the man that I loved, right? Inherently, that's what was being projected. Inherently, he was a kind, brilliant, smart, loving, hilarious person, friend, partner that just leaned into this addiction. And, you know, in the last year of our marriage, I tried so hard to save him. I tried to do everything. Again, that helper mentality. Um, pretty much giving up all of myself to really try and, and save him. And in the end, he in, in some way saved me, which seems really, really odd to say, but his death gave me a chance to really reevaluate my life and to think about what it is that I, I want and how I want to feel and the type of woman I want to continue to be. And, you know, I was in a very numb place and those first few months um, after his death or they come back to me in spurts. But over that year of uh, May, 2020 to May, 2021, I just did a lot of reflecting 
and I went really quiet and went inward and I was just like, I need to make changes. So I started to make changes in every aspect of my life. And then I heard about 29 or 29 and I was like, again, this just, this is something I need to do. And it wasn't until, I don't think it was until like Ascent 6 that I realized Tim's color growing up because he was an identical twin was red. Like that's how they differentiated him. And it wasn't until I was on the mount that I was like, holy crap, this is Tim. Like, no wonder I feel so connected to this. Red is what we are striving for. We need to get that red hat, you know, that red bib. And it all just kind of really clicked in that moment that, you know, Ascent One, I dedicated to him. After each ascent, it became more about letting go, not forgetting him by any means, but letting go of everything that I had been carrying and harboring for years on end and doing each ascent more for me and the woman that I, I was becoming on that mountain. Why do you think these physical challenges like this are able to crack us open? I like wish I knew. Um, I think, I mean, I can really only speak from my experience. There's just something about completely unplugging. Like for me, I made it a commitment that I was not, I had my phone on me, but like I, you know, put it on airplane mode. I mode, I didn't have any form of music. And for me, it was a chance just to, again, completely disengage, completely unplug and really, connect to who I was physically, spiritually, emotionally. And I feel like for something like this, especially over 36 hours, right? Like every hour, every ascent forces you to make a choice. Like there were, there was a moment in the middle of the night where I went back down to the tent with Jehu and she was going to sleep because she just, she needed it. And I stood there looking at my bed and I was like, if I go to sleep now, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to hit my goal. And I turned right back out and literally just walked straight to the mountain. And it was those little moments, those choices that I think just reaffirmed for me in those brief moments who I was striving to be, but who I, who I already was and parts of myself I had never really connected to like going through what I went through with Tim, I never thought I'd be strong enough. There were moments where I'm like really big into TV shows and I connect with characters. So like when Derek died, spoiler on Grey's Anatomy, um, in like season 11, I was hysterical. And I remember calling Tim and I, and I was like, you can never die. Cause if you die, I will not survive. And then actually being physically, emotionally, mentally, put in this position where I had to choose, you know, do I continue to move forward after losing him or do I allow this darkness and this loss to envelop me and, and take me down too? Again, it was just like another choice. And I just realized the strength that I had and it was the same thing on that mountain. I could have given in, I could have just curled up on my bed and been like, whatever happens tomorrow happens. But I knew I wouldn't be able to live with myself or be happy 
the next day. It's, it's such a, a powerful story that you tell. I mean, there's so many people who come to the mountain with so many different stories, but I I just really love how you talk about finding those pieces of yourself that maybe maybe were always there, but they just you didn't know they were there. You you had to go and find them. And it's interesting how we can find them while we are climbing on the mountain and being unplugged and leaning into other people, hearing other people's stories, seeing other people's struggle. It's all part of us really finding our way through whatever's in front. I just can't help but just like sit here and just smile and nod my head because that's, that's what it was. I mean, like hearing, you know, there, there are so many names that like, I, I can't remember, but there are so many stories, you know, the one man who was there supporting, um, his fundraiser, particularly with like girls in athletics and the female wrestlers, the high school students who he was helping, you know, helping them realize that they were worth more, um, than what they had believed. And, you know, Nick at the very end who we were talking about how he had called his wife earlier in the day and on the mountain was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And I just remember being like, go call your wife. Like you did it. And, you know, we all had these doubts or even looking at, there was this giant man on the mountain. I don't know how else to describe him. And he was a participant and me looking at him being like, I would have never thought that he that I would be ahead of him, you know, quote unquote, but I was able to, to get myself to where I needed to be because that was part of my journey. And it, I didn't, I, in the, in that moment, I was able to just stop comparing like, oh, well, he looks stronger. He's taller than me. He has more muscle, you know, so-and-so is on their 13th lap and I'm only on my sixth suddenly that didn't matter anymore. It was just me and my body and my mind and what I was capable of. Yeah. I think that's something that's really unique about 29029 is that ability to kind of leave your labels at the door and put them behind us, no matter who we are. You know, you could be hiking with somebody who makes a billion dollars a year. You could be hiking next to somebody who maybe is struggling to even figure out where they're going to live next week. But yet we're all working towards the same goal. I think that's just a beautiful thing about the mountain. And it does allow us the space in which to find ourselves. You know, we leave our labels, but yet we maybe find some other ones that we that are more powerful, that are more pertinent, that really define who we truly are inside. Oh, yeah. I mean you know, since Tim died, so many people have told me like, you are so strong and, you know, you're brave for what you're doing and continuing to go. And I never really ad adopted those, those traits because I was like, I had, of course we all have choices, but like, I didn't have a choice, right? Like I could only go forward, but facing that mountain, I realized like, I am really freaking strong and I am brave for putting myself in this situation. Like, again, no one would ever describe me as an athlete. I mean, I would tell people I'm doing this and they're like, you, like, you're going to go climb a mountain. Like when was the last time you were like outside? 
but just putting myself in that situation to grow, to, to want more for myself, to, to test myself and know that I am strong and I am brave and I don't have to let the labels that I've given myself for 33 years, you know, prior to this define me, like I truly left that mountain just being extra confident and strong and being like, I might be 34 and nowhere near where I thought I was going to be in my life right now. But it's way more than okay than I ever thought it could be. Yeah. We can be okay in lots of places that we never thought we could be okay when we find those new definitions of ourselves and those that new strength that we have. I I just love this story. What would you give for advice to someone who's looking at the mountain and you know whether they're looking at an actual physical challenge or other mountains that they're that they're looking at or facing? What's some advice that you give for somebody who's been yourself who's been in a, a really really hard place to start climbing from? I think my first question for you would be one that I've asked myself. How are you going to feel if you don't do this right now? How are you going to feel in five minutes? How are you going to feel in three hours? How are you going to feel tomorrow? And that was one thing that I kept asking myself on the mountain. If you don't do this, Meredith, how are you going to feel? And my immediate reaction was, I'm going to feel beat up, ashamed, depressed, like a whole host of things because I was allowing, I was possibly going to allow these negative thoughts to overtake the goal that I have. The other piece of advice was actually something that someone said to me in the middle of the night, we were all on the same ascent, but as I was walking up, they were moving, like they were like billy goats, just easy, breezy up this mountain. I was like, I, I, I was going to walk with them, but I can't do this anymore because they are just on a different level. And I stopped and they said, Meredith, you've already made it this far. No one comes this far to turn around and go down. And I was like, crap you're right. Even though I can still hear Colleen, even though I can still see the ascent board, I didn't come this far to turn around and go back down. And so even though I still have a mile and a half mile and three quarters, I can only go forward. And forward is progress. No matter how slow it is sometimes, those little steps that you take will eventually lead you to where you want to be. And that's so powerful. And I also love the advice that Coach Don gave you to take some steps, but then look back. Look at where you came from. Because so often I think we we get into our journeys or we, we're doing life and we fail to turn around and say, hey, remember when I wanted to be right here? Remember when I wanted to be this person? What great advice from Coach Don. Oh my God. It was like literally it changed the game just between her breathing advice and just that little moment. Because again, no matter how slow I felt, I was moving at some points and I was moving very slowly at some points. Every time I turned around, I'd be like, okay, I can't hear Colleen as loudly anymore. So I've made progress. And you know, I may not be able to hear her anymore, but I can now hear the cowbell from aid station one. And so it just became those little moments where 
I was looking, but also listening to what was around me. And it allowed me to be extra present because as much as you want to just get through it and get that red bib and cross that finish line before the 36 hours are up, I would have missed so many moments of just beauty and quiet and and growth had I not actually taken that time to turn around. And there were moments where I started taking pictures and I was like, I may not have time for this, but I'm never going to have this moment again. So I have to absorb it. I have to take it in. Yeah. Living in those moments is so important because it's so easy to just get caught up in what we're doing. I was just recently reading something online from a guy who had just finished the world championship Ironman in Kona. And he had worked and worked and worked to get there to Kona. And somebody said to him, well, what's next? What are you going to do next? And he said, you know what? I'm going to sleep in on Saturday. I'm going to go and see my daughter and my wife. And I'm going to plan a vacation. And I'm going to sit down and I'm going to relax because I did that. There doesn't always have to be this rush to do something more. I mean, there were so many people I got back, you know, I was texting them that I'd finished and they're like, okay, what's your next mountain? And I was like, I don't know. And like, that's okay. Because again, like at least with me and my journey, crossing that finish line, and I see it even more now, almost two months out from 29 or 29, I closed some sort of chapter on this mountain that I'd been climbing for literal years prior to 29 or 29. So I was like, I don't know. And that's okay. I'm not going to worry about signing up for a half marathon. I'm not going to worry about, you know, I mean, like I will be on one of these 29 or 29 mountains again, but I'm not going to necessarily worry so much about when that's going to be right now. I'm going to focus on what's next and what really feels good for me in my next step in life. If you are feeling called to do it, you just have to do it. The minute you just stop worrying about everybody else and you just lean into your gut, your life is going to transform. I've just been leaning in so much since 2020. And again, my life is nowhere where I thought it would be at 34. But if it's possible, it's better than I could have dreamed. There you have it, my Everest, the latest episode of the 29029 podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about 29029 events or read more stories from an incredible community of individuals, you can head over to 29029everesting.com. That's 29029everesting.com. I'm Colleen Rue, the voice of the mountain. Keep climbing. We'll meet you at the next summit.